I'd like to invite you to point your Bibles to the New Testament book of Acts, chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible, there is a black one provided for you in the pew in front of you, and you'll find Acts chapter 24 on page 933 of the church Bible. And by the way, if you don't own a Bible, please steal that one. It's not really stealing. It is our gift to you as this congregation. We love the Bible and we want you to have one. As Pastor Steve has already mentioned, we'd like to welcome PBC Kids and Pebbles and Boulders into the service with us today. And uh, if you are in Cornerstone Kids or Pebbles or Boulders, make sure that you have a Bible and that you can read along with us. There's a lot of really great things that we're going to learn about Jesus and about something called the conscience. So please have a Bible with you um, and let's, let's learn about Jesus together on April 15th, 1521, the German monk Martin Luther stood on trial before the Roman emperor, literally with his life in his hands. He was asked to recant some of his uh, positions on salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, as well as to recant some of his writings that he had written against the church. Luther famously and bravely refused to recant, he says, I neither can nor will retract anything, for it is neither safe nor honest for a Christian to speak against his conscience. Here I stand, I cannot do otherwise, God help me, amen. When it came down to it, Luther's life in his hands, Luther decided to appeal to his conscience. And I wonder if you find that strange. Obviously, Luther understood something about the conscience that many of us maybe don't. Well, you might be surprised to learn that Luther was not the first person to do this. He was, as we're going to see in a moment, simply following in the steps of the Apostle Paul. Well, many of you know we're in a we're, we're in a five week series. This is week four of a five week series that we're working through, called Christ Exalting Worship. We normally pick a book of the Bible and work through it verse by verse. We're taking a little break from that so that we can consider this subject of Christ Exalting Worship. We've already looked at a number of elements about the church gathered. Now we're looking at some elements of the church scattered. More specifically, the role of the conscience in helping us shaping our worship of Jesus. That's what we'll do this week. Next week, Lord willing, we will consider the role of the conscience in community. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. So this morning, we're considering the conscience in the life of the Christian. And we will start our study of this matter in Acts chapter 24. We're going to read Luke's account of the trial of Paul of Tarsus, a Middle Eastern terrorist turned Christian, and we're going to read this section of Scripture. I'll pray, and then we'll get to work. Usually, take us around 45 minutes or so, although I did say that last week and went for 56 minutes, so, but I didn't charge extra, so you're welcome for that. Acts chapter 24, beginning at verse 1. And after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders, and a spokesman, one Tertullus. They laid before the governor their case against Paul, and when he had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Since 
Through you, we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation in every way and in everywhere, we accept this with all gratitude. But to detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly. For we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. Now, the Jews also joined in the charge, affirming that these things were so. And when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it is not more than twelve days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. And they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way, which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So, I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you and we ask for your Holy Spirit that he would help us to understand these matters, to understand the conscience, its role, and why you've given it to us. Give us grace now as we consider these matters and help us. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Well, I guess we should probably start by asking the obvious question, what is a conscience? I was raised in a time in America when Walt Disney movies were actually good and made money. No, seriously, this actually happened in American history. One of my favorites is The Emperor's New Groove. Have you seen it? That's one of the greatest Disney characters of all time, Kronk. The antagonist's brawny and dim-witted sidekick. I just love him. In the film, Kronk has to make decisions on whether he should do the right thing or the wrong thing, and his conscience appears as two shoulder angels, one with a harp and a white robe, and the other in red spandex, and a pitchfork whose most convincing argument is that he can do a one-handed handstand. Is this what the conscience is? Two shoulder angels telling you whether you should do the right thing or the wrong thing? Is your conscience a talking cricket in a suit telling Pinocchio to be a good boy? Which, by the way, last year I read Pinocchio, like the book, And Pinocchio literally kills the cricket, like in the opening scene of the book, smashes it against the wall. Disney skipped that part. (laughs) Maybe the conscience is neither of those things. Maybe your conscience is just simply more evidence of a social and ideological power structure that has been imposed upon free-thinking people. What is the conscience? 
Well, here's my definition. Pull the slide up here. Conscience is your personal, God-given, internal sense of right and wrong about something that you have already done or something that you're planning to do. So your conscience is this internal God-given sense of moral right and wrong. And it's there to accuse and excuse you for things that you have done or might be planning to do. So your conscience looks forward before you do something and urges you to do the right thing. The conscience also looks backward on things that you've already done and either accuses you for something you've done or excuses you for something you've done. Now, interestingly, the conscience is yours and yours alone, but it is not really you. It has the ability to agree with you and to disagree with you. It has the ability to hug you and then slap you in the face. You have the ability to offend your conscience. It's a bit like a guide, sort of like a supervisor looking over your shoulder upon your work, a witness and a judge all in one. Your conscience is an instrument. It isn't perfect. It needs calibration. So you should question your conscience, but you should always listen to your conscience. No two Christian consciences will agree on everything. But we live in a fallen world, and our understanding of God's word and God's will is imperfect. So think of it like this Venn diagram. In the middle, you have God's will, his revealed will to his creatures. On the one side, you have the circle which represents one Christian's conscience. And on the other circle, another Christian's conscience. Now, by God's grace, as we're growing in our understanding of God's will, there's going to be lots of overlap between those three circles. But there may be things that are misaligned in your life about God's will. We seek to make our circles completely aligned with God's will. And will they ever be in this life? Well, the Bible says that we see in a mirror dimly, we know in part. And so we must cleanse our conscience We must calibrate our conscience, and we must comply with our conscience. And that brings us to the big idea that we'll be driving towards this morning. In order to offer God Christ-exalting worship, you must cleanse, calibrate, and comply with your conscience. In order for you to offer God Christ-exalting worship, you must cleanse your conscience and calibrate your conscience and comply with your conscience. So we'll start things off today by considering how the conscience works, how the conscience is defiled, and how by God's grace it can be cleansed. So point one, cleanse your conscience. Turn with me a couple of pages forward to Romans chapter 2. 
Romans chapter 2, that'll be page 940 of the church Bibles. Romans chapter 2, beginning at verse 14. For when Gentiles, that is non-Jews, when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness. And their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. Now, a few things to note from this passage. First, you see the conscience is God-given. The conscience is God-given. God gives every human being a conscience, a moral sense of right and wrong, a moral sense for which He holds them accountable. This is the work of God's law written upon the heart. That's the first thing. Second thing to note. The work of God's law is written on the heart even before they hear God's law. The work of God's law is written on the heart even before one hears God's law. That's what he's saying there. The Gentiles, non-Jews, who had no access to the law that God gave to Moses, by nature did what the law required. That is because every person, regardless of whether they have heard of God's law or not, innately carries a sense of right and wrong. They know there's a God, and they know that it's wrong to lie and to steal and to murder and so on. It's written upon their heart. So kids, if you you guys are listening, if you're still tracking with this, The conscience is that part of you that when you're thinking about doing something that you know mommy and daddy said not to do, and you feel that little tug in you that says, don't do that, that's your conscience. And then after you did the thing that you know you shouldn't have done and you feel bad about it, that's your conscience. God gave that to you to help you to know that you should listen to your mom and to your dad. Third thing to notice from this verse, conscience bears witness, either accusing or excusing. It is binary. It's an on-off switch. It's either on or it's off. It's either right or it's wrong. It does, your conscience pronounces a judgment, but it does not give you advice. It just says, right or wrong, moral or immoral. So your conscience cannot tell you what you should say. It only tells you that if what you, it only tells you that what you said was wrong or what you're planning to say might be wrong. It tells you whether your motives are right or wrong. So it won't tell you what to do if the restaurant forgets to charge you for your appetizer or your drink. It will just put a finger in your chest for taking advantage of your waiter's mistake. Your conscience will either excuse or accuse. In the Old Testament, when David 
cut off a corner of King Saul's robe, the Bible says David's heart struck him. When the apostle Peter preached to the crowd in Jerusalem at Pentecost, the Bible says when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Their conscience was at work accusing them, saying, that's wrong. You've done wrong. But the conscience also excuses. The Apostle Paul in Romans 9.1, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 1.12, for our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience that we behaved the right way. The testimony of the conscience, either accusing or excusing. So think of it a bit like a check engine light on your car. It's either on or it's off. Your car's computer is all the time doing these checks for you. If something's wrong, a light comes on. And you can do one of two things when this happens. You can take your car somewhere and have someone hook it up to a machine that tells you the codes that the computer thinks are, is going on, and you can go and get it fixed. Or you can do, as some of you are in the habit of doing, just ignore it and hope that someday it'll go away. Because maybe you bought a car with a self-healing engine. Now, I'm no mechanic, but it's not a good idea to ignore the check engine light, especially if you don't know why it's there. And neither should you ignore your conscience. Your conscience is that God-given check engine light on your life. It tells you if something's wrong and you should listen to it. Because when you've sinned against the Lord, when you've done something against God's, the work of God's law written on your heart, your conscience lights up. And this is a mercy from God. It's sort of like a handle that God has on your heart. That when your conscience comes on, it's, something's wrong, the Holy Spirit's taking hold of your heart and pulling you. Come here. Come here. So you might be here in church today because you're, you know something's off. That light's been on, flickering for a minute. You don't quite feel at peace. Your conscience is accusing you for things that you've done. You feel dirty on the inside, and no matter how many good things that you do to try and make up for it, you're never able to be good enough. Well, friend, can I tell you? That's exactly how you should feel. There is nothing you can do to cleanse your conscience of the guilt of your sin. There is no amount of scrubbing to clean the filth off of your heart. There is no amount of ignoring that stain that will make it go away. There's only one way to have your conscience cleaned, and that is to come to Jesus Christ today. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, 14, the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, will purify our consciences from the dead works to serve the living God. So sinner, bring your troubled conscience to the cross of Jesus Christ where it can be cleansed. 
Every person here was made to offer God Christ-exalting worship in the service of the living God. And for those with ears to hear, whatever way your life is not exalting Christ in the right way, your conscience will accuse you. And the only way to purify that conscience and assuage the feeling of guilt in your heart is to turn to God through Christ, whose blood will purify you. Turn to Him today. Whether it's the first time you've ever done this or the 500th time you've done this, no matter how serious the accusation, there is no stain that the blood of Christ cannot cleanse. Repent of your sins. Receive the mercy of God and a clean conscience. And before you leave this building, tell someone. Tell one of those people that you saw receive the Lord's Supper a minute ago. Tell them you'd like to become a Christian and receive a clean conscience. Tell one of the pastors on your way out. We'd love to tell you more about Jesus Christ and living before God with a clean conscience. PBC, you should always know that it's always wrong to go against your conscience. It is always wrong. But that doesn't mean that your conscience is always right. So not only do we have to have our conscience cleansed, we also have to have our conscience calibrated. So turn with me forward in your Bible a little bit more to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians 4, page 953. Kids, how we doing? You guys still good? Still able to listen? You guys doing awesome. Really proud of you. Well done. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Paul writes, For this is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. So Paul is defending the way that he has led the church at Corinth. He considers himself and his companions to be servants of Christ, stewards of the mystery of Christ. He says a steward must be found faithful. Has the apostle been found faithful in the way that he has led this church? Well, obviously from Acts chapter 24, which we read earlier, Paul goes to great lengths to make sure that his conscience is clear before God and before man. He tells the Corinthian church that it matters very little to me whether you find me faithful. I don't even judge myself, he says. I'm not aware of anything I've done wrong, but that doesn't mean I haven't done anything wrong. He said, it's the Lord who judges me. And then he cautions the church in verse 5, don't pronounce a judgment before the time. God will be the one to bring to light things hidden in the heart, hidden motives, And each one of us will receive our commendation from God. Here's what he's saying. 
God has the final word on whether motives were right. God will have the final word on whether we handle situations right. God will have the final word on whether Paul was faithful or unfaithful in the way that he led this church. So your conscience is a gift from God, but understand your conscience is not God. God is the God of your conscience. It is a tool. It is an instrument. And like any instrument, it has to be calibrated, tuned. We calibrate our consciences by reading and and submitting to God's word. Your conscience has boundary lines about what you think is right and wrong. And sometimes your boundary lines don't line up with God's will. You know, if you look at any map of the United States, it appears that the state of Colorado is a square or rectangle with four straight lines. But Colorado has more than four edges. Colorado actually has 697 edges. Google it. It was supposed to have four edges, but surveyors in the mid-1800s were drawing these boundary lines, and they would go off course a little bit, and they were in a hurry. So rather than going back to the place where they went off course, they just made a quick correction. So Colorado's boundary lines actually have jagged edges. Our conscience is like this. The boundary lines don't always line up where they're supposed to. There are things in your conscience that you believe are in bounds that are actually out of bounds. And there are things your conscience believes are out of bounds which are actually in bounds. Later in this very letter, the Apostle Paul addresses an issue going on in Corinth regarding the eating of meat that has been sacrificed to idols. And Paul even says, idols are nothing. There's only one God. Everyone knows there's only one true and living God. All the other gods of the people to whom they make idols are just are nothing. And that makes idols nothing, just speechless statues. And so, eating meat that has been sacrificed to a nothing is nothing. But he says, not everyone gets this. But some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. There were people in Corinth who had drawn boundary lines where God had not drawn them. Food does not commend us to God. We're not worse off if we don't eat, and we're not better off if we do eat. But here's the thing. For those with a weak conscience who believe it is sinful to eat meat sacrificed to idols, it is sinful for them. 
It is not sin, according to God, but it is sin according to their uncalibrated conscience. And it is always sinful to go against your conscience. As Pastor Mark Dever put it, your conscience cannot make a wrong thing right, but it can make a right thing wrong. So Christian, question your conscience. Calibrate your conscience, but never go against your conscience. There are certainly things that are biblically out of bounds about which we are just unbothered. Our consciences are students of the social values of our day. There are certain things we just assume that just go unsaid. And so we must always be calibrating our conscience by the Scripture. I remember reading the account of a difficult pastoral issue of one particular church in Indonesia. The elders of this church were uncertain on whether or not to recommend a young couple for membership in their church. This young couple had committed a grievous sin in their previous village and relocated to this village. And this sin was so grievous that the elders had hesitation before they would recommend them to the congregation to be received into membership. And an American pastor wanting to help, no doubt, asked the question, well, what was this grievous sin committed by this young couple? And the Indonesian pastor said, they got eloped. And the American pastor said, were they adults? Yes. So what's the big deal? And these Indonesian pastors said, haven't you read Paul? Honor your father and mother? You see, the American pastor, like us in the West, assumed that the fifth commandment comes with some limitations, an expiration date, perhaps. But in the East, in an honor culture, they applied that text quite differently. Now, who is right? The American pastor or the Indonesian pastor? Right? We must calibrate our conscience by the Word of God and ask how much of my conscience has been catechized by a rugged Midwestern individualism? How many of my values, which I claim are Christian values, are actually aligned to Scripture? And how much of them I, have I just received from culture and not questioned? I, I don't know. This is why we have to check. This is why we have to calibrate our conscience by the Scriptures. One author put it like this, the conscience is like a skylight. It doesn't create its own light. It just lets light in from the outside. And so our job is to make sure that that light is clear and lets in as mo the most amount of light. 
So one of the ways you calibrate your conscience is by reading God's Word. Another way you calibrate your conscience is by joining Christian community. This is why church membership is so valuable. We learn from one another. It's good practice, dear Christian, to ask other Christians more mature than yourself why their conscience is bound on this issue and free on this issue. Well, it's even better practice to ask them how they came to that conclusion. Additionally, we calibrate our conscience by listening to Christians from different cultures and from different eras of Christian history. You know, it wasn't that long ago when Christians believed it was sinful to use playing cards. Well, that doesn't mean that it is sinful to use playing cards, but for them it was. And rather than just dismissing it wholesale, we should probably listen to our grandfathers and grandmothers in the faith as to why they came to that conclusion. But that doesn't mean they're right. Church history is a wonderfully useful tool for all of us. But it's not inerrant. It also wasn't that long ago that Christians practiced something called bundling. Anyone know what this is? Christians thought it was a great idea, legitimately thought it was a great idea, if an unmarried couple uh, were courting one another, and to make sure that they had relational compatibility, they were permitted to sleep together in the same bed at the same time, fully clothed, with a board in between them, because that helps, and this way they would have plenty more time to talk to one another through the night just to make sure that they could get along with one another before they got married. Boundary line is real clear for me on that one. That's dumb. Don't do that. The point is, we calibrate our conscience by Scripture. We listen to other Christians. We listen to Christians in other cultures. We listen to Christians from other times in history. Will we land in the same place? We won't. So what do we do if we land in two different places? Well, you're going to have to come back next Lord's Day, and we'll consider that from Romans chapter 14. So cleanse your conscience, calibrate your conscience, and then finally, and this is where we'll land, comply with your conscience. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Page 991 of the Church Bible, 1 Timothy chapter 1. Beginning at verse 18. Again, Paul writing, he says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Some years ago, I was shopping for a pickup truck, and I found a couple of good deals from some dealerships near Cincinnati and 
set up some appointments. My dad and I drove down to Cincinnati, and one of the first pickup trucks that we test drove um, was, it wasn't running right. Um, just, so we took it over to an AutoZone or something, and we had them hook up their scanner, and it threw a ton of codes. But the engine wasn't running right. But the check engine light wasn't on. It just wasn't running right. And then we were headed back to the dealership, and I figured out why. The sunlight hit the dash in just such a way that I could see that someone at one point had pulled the dash apart and put black electrical tape over the check engine light. And so needless to say, I brought it back to the dealership, and he was confused. How could this happen? Here in 1 Timothy, Paul is charging young pastor Timothy to hold the faith in a good conscience. And notice at the end of verse 19, by rejecting these, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Remember what Luther said on trial, he said, it's not safe to go against conscience. The more that you do, the less sensitive you will become to your conscience. Later in this letter, Paul warns of those whose consciences have been seared, like steak left way too long on the burner, a blaspheme against God, to be sure. In his excellent In their excellent little book on the conscience, Andy Nacelli and J.D. Crawley write that ignoring the conscience is like feeding sleeping pills to the watchdog. You can dismiss your conscience for a while. You can put black tape over the check engine light. You can ignore the accusations of the conscience. And if you tune it out long enough, eventually you won't hear it anymore. You'll become deaf to the conscience. Your conscience will become seared. It's like burning the tips of your fingers over and over again until there's no more sensation in your fingers. Your conscience is the one thing, is one of the things that the Lord uses to take hold of your heart and draw you to Him. And you cut that handle off of your heart and you lose it. Eventually, you stop feeling God pulling you toward repentance, and you are headed for shipwreck. Last Lord's Day, we talked about church discipline. This is what's happening to the person who regrettably is unrepentant for so long that the church has to place them under discipline. They refuse to listen to their conscience even as other Christians are coming and trying to wake it up. And the church then is forced to use the least severe means to wake them up. I heard one guy say that church discipline is like the defibrillator for the seared conscience trying to shock it back to life. So, brother, sister, if your conscience is accusing you, get it cleansed by the blood of Christ. Thank God for this gift of conviction. And just as soon as possible, turn to the cleansing power of the cross. PBC, make it your Daily practice as you read the Bible to calibrate your conscience according to God's Word. Ask the Spirit of God to help you see where the boundary markers of your conscience have been misaligned 
and then ask a Christian more mature than yourself why their conscience is bound or free. And then finally, submit your conscience to the Lord and comply with it. And then come back next week and we'll talk more about dealing with the conscience in community. Let's pray. Father, we lay ourselves before you this morning. Please receive our thanks for giving us a conscience, handles that you take hold of to draw us to your Son, to cleanse us and to embrace us. We thank you for the conscience. And Lord, we confess that we have disobeyed our conscience more times than we know, more times than we certainly care to admit. And you've seen us in this state and showed us just such profound mercy. Please forgive us for sinning against you and our conscience. Lord, awaken our conscience where we have ignored our conscience. What we have considered in bounds that you have clearly made out of bounds. What we have considered out of bounds that you have clearly made in bounds. Give us freedom. Keep us from pride. Keep us teachable. Give us ears to hear. For Jesus' glory and praise. All God's people said amen. Now please stand to your feet for the assurance of pardon. At the end of our service, we take a moment, we go before the Lord looking in His Word for an assurance that those of us who have placed our faith in the Lord, confessing our sins, we have the assurance from Him that we have been forgiven of those sins. Today's assurance of pardon comes from Psalm chapter 55, verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Brother Leader.